You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to this special bonus edition of Sweden in Focus, the Locals News podcast. On Saturday, the podcast featured the first part of our interview with Jonathan Lehmann, a researcher with the Expo Foundation. What we're going to hear now is the rest of the interview, where we go into more detail on the Sweden Democrats' deepening ties with more extreme elements of the nationalist movement, why the party espoused the idea of open Swedishness and what that means, how far its anti-racist zero-tolerance policy stretches, whether the party's links to pro-Kremlin parts of the alternative media sphere represent a security threat for Sweden, and how the party will navigate a balancing act between the centre-right and extreme-right as it seeks to further broaden its appeal to voters. Before we get to the interview, this is just a reminder that the podcast is made possible by members of The Local. So a big, big thank you to everyone who supports us. We're an independent publisher and it's your support that funds our journalism. If you're not a member but would like to join, you can find a special membership offer for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. Let's listen now to the interview. We should probably talk a little bit about the alternative media environment in the Swedish context, because in in some countries, a lot of the alternative media are, are left wing. I think, I think that's the case in the UK, for example. But in Sweden, they're almost all far right and right wing extremists, right? Yes, there are also conspiracists, alternative media, which usually have links to the far right, yeah. but are not clearly far right, not nationalist in that way. The type of media that, that were very keen on COVID-19 conspiracy theories and previously been very focused on the 9-11 conspiracy, mm. of those types of websites. However, there are some left wing sort of alternative websites, but like you said, it's, it's quite uncommon here. Yeah. And you mentioned that there are some red lines, although they've they've moved. I mean, in yeah. this alternative media landscape, are there some sites which, with which they still refuse to be associated? Yeah, I would say that the neo-Nazi Nordic resistance movement and their affiliated sort of news website, that would be impossible yeah. today. And can you give examples of media sites that they previously would have shunned that they're now embracing? Yeah, it's a site like Exact Chifira, which is connected to this Exactly 24, it's called, yeah. or Exact Chifira. It's connected with this former the media house that sort of is the leftovers of this disbanded party, National Democrats. Mm. So that's one example. Yeah. 
I think people who've been here for a long time will probably remember a site called Of Pixlat, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But that sort of evolved into Samhällsnytt, yeah, yeah. And which which has become more and more radical. You can see on Samhällsnytt that basically spreading the lies about the storming of the capital, that it was peaceful, that these trials in the US now are just a way to to tar uh, Donald Trump and his supporters, and uh, it's all fake, basically. So that kind of reporting we see um, on on Samuelsnitt and the very and extremely vile comment section there that is sort of appears to be unmoderated, even though that magazine has become more and more extreme and moved from a sort of right-wing populist to far-right extremist in many ways. The most visible profile from there, Kent Ekeroth, has now become an SD politician, Again, he's been sort of re- rehabilitated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he was involved in of Pixlat and also Sam yeah, Hausnitz, exactly. right? Yeah. And why do you think all this is happening now? I mean, why did this shift happen in 2018? It happened in the years after the 2018 election because now the Sweden Democrats no longer need to be worried about how they appear so that they can be accepted. Because once the door is open to them by parties who are willing to cooperate with them, their worry from appearing racist or extremist becomes rather a worry to appear politically correct or not radical enough. So I think that's the, the primary uh, concern. And also how clear it was in the 2018 election that they had all these alternative outlets against them. I mean, these alternative outlets are either a friend or a foe. And as a friend... They will sort of pave the way for you. They will attack your political opponents as a foe and they will um, you know, give you a headache. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I think it's a calculation that we can get away with a closer relation mm. with this alternative media environment now. Does it also give them a way to communicate with grassroots voters they might not otherwise reach? Exactly. I think in the long term, they were worried about losing that connection by being sort of cut off from right. that world. That, okay, didn't affect them strongly in 2018, but in the long term, being disconnected from that environment. Mm. I mean, if you look at different parties and their connections, the the, the Social Democrats have their labor movement connections. SD doesn't really have those, like uh, the Swedish word folkrörelse. So they don't have a sort of a movement behind yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the movement is this sort of nationalist movement, which is today centered around media production and right. propaganda. So it's not a movement, it's not a popular movement with, with, with organisations, with, exactly. with, with members in small towns, and it's more a kind of a corporate movement around these media. Yeah, I would say so. And also all these social media groups and pages. It's not only regular media, but it's this whole ecosystem of the far right right online, which, you know, of course, it would be problematic for them to sort of be cut off from that. So if you just go back for a minute to the idea of open Swedishness, do you think the party's intentions there were genuine? Did they really believe that race-based ideology was wrong or was the decision to espouse open Swedishness just a calculation designed to make it easier to gain power? I think it's a bit of both. For some people, I think it's more of a calculation. And for some people, it's something they firmly believe. But also, the Sweden Democrats, just like the rest of the Swedish society, also are affected by the discourse in the surrounding society. And now, maybe more things were considered racist than now. And so it affects also what appears to them as a freedom of movement there in that yeah. regard. And as you mentioned as well, just over a decade ago, Jimmy Okerson announced that the Sweden Democrats were taking a zero tolerance approach to extremism. And over the following years, a lot of people were expelled from the party, often after 
representatives were exposed in the media as having actively supported racist organizations, for example. Has it completely abandoned zero tolerance now? No, it hasn't. And it was never a a consistent zero tolerance policy. I mean, some people could get away with quite a lot even then. But what has happened is that SD has narrowed what they consider to be extremist now. Calling for violence against a minority group is still considered extremist. Supporting neo-Nazi NRM is still considered extremist. But it's the stuff between that Mm. and the Sweden Democrats, which is now becoming more and more legitimate in the Sweden Democrats, including this, these ideas connected with ethnic nationalism um, and uh, the Swedes being replaced, etc. Yeah, I'm thinking of that case we had in, in Nynäshamn recently where a councillor was discovered to have had some Nazi links. And yeah, she, that was my reporting. That was your reporting? Yeah, together with David Boss at Expressen. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about that. She was sort of forced to leave the Sweden Democrats yeah. uh, as a result of that okay. connection with Nordic resistance movement, although it goes quite a few years back. But she didn't acknowledge this past at first, and so it was difficult for her. She chose not to say that this was sort of in her past, and she had troubles ex- also explaining her continued links to or, or social media presence along with her former far-right extremist friends in the Nordic resistance movement. What happened after you exposed this? I mean, where, where is she now? What she's doing now? Well, she stays on as a politisk vilde in Swedish, like as a political independent. independent. Yeah, political independent. Yeah, yeah, an independent. Or a political savage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not a political savage. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd word. Yeah. Uh, but um, so she's, she stayed on there as a in that capacity is independent and uh, the Swing Democrats uh, didn't want to uh, have, they saw her as like as a liability, as, as a problem. A leading Sweden Democrat in Nynäshamn municipality who commented on this about this politician that she was forced to leave the Sweden Democrats, he actually also has been shopping from the neo-Nazi Nordic resistance movement web shop and has had <laughs> affiliations with far-right extremists on the, the Russian-connected social media platform VK. So it, it shows that some of these cases are more or like a tip of the iceberg there are all these other mm. issues he, he bought a t-shirt from uh, <laughs> from the NRM uh, website um, and you, you mentioned that you exposed this story with David Boss from Express and I actually just finished reading his book Segra El Adas like Victory of Death which comes from this Facebook post made by Matthias Carlson yeah. after the 2018 election but David Boss also exposed the so-called Janra scandal it was yeah. like the, the Iron Bar scandal where uh, leading Sweden Democrats attacked a comedian on the streets of of Stockholm in, remind me of the year, 2012? Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, it was reported, I think, in 2012, but the events took place a few years earlier, I think. Yes, mm. that's it, exactly. And that resulted in Erik Almqvist, who was a leading Sweden Democrat at the time, sort of moving to, to Hungary. And he was sort of, you know, he was pushed to the sidelines a little bit. What's he doing now? Is yeah, he, but he was he running be... the sort of the Sweden Democrats news website as a sort of consultant in the, yeah. the years following that. And now he runs this website, Exact 24, this, this uh, far-right uh, extremist uh, alternative media site, yeah. and is sort of a part of the Sweden Democrat, not party, but Sweden Democrat sort of movement yeah. uh, still. So it, I think that's kind of an, of an example that the party also sort of is broader now, yeah. broader to the right. Sorry, how are all these, because there's, 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 there's a whole sort of ecosystem of far-right websites, 
web TV stations, newspapers. How are they funded? Who pays for them? Because uh, I can't think I, many, many big advertisers it's, 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 pay for this. Uh, yeah, millions of crowns every year are going to the state, the grants, uh, the media support grants. And that's enough to fund the whole thing? Is it, I mean, they, view, they have so. subscriptions as well, right. apart from that, and some other uh, income and, and donations, etc. But yeah, I think that's, that's a very... The, the media in the extreme right that have been successful in, in getting this taxpayer money, they are the stronger ones. Uh, and it sort of becomes... Yeah, the people are gravitating towards them and they are growing. And, and so the paper Nya Tider, which came out of this disbanded National Democrats, that has sort of expanded into a, a publishing house, which has different outlets, Exactifira being one of them. Yeah. So basically, the, the Swedish public, the Swedish taxpayers, we are paying for this for, for an enormous number now of, um, or relatively large number of, 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 of far-right websites that are sort of spreading quite serious political propaganda on behalf of a, uh, on behalf of a, a right-wing populist party. I mean, is there any, is there any movement to change Yeah, this? and also not only, I mean, a populist party, but also these web, some of these websites are spreading pro-Kremlin conspiracy theories. They're spreading uh, support for Nordic resistance movement. And so, so there are uh, both sort of right-wing populist alternative media sites, but also purely far-right extremist and pro-Nazi uh, sites that are also funded. Yeah, you mentioned the Kremlin there, and your colleague Daniel Poole was one of the signatories of an article published in Aftonbladet recently and co-signed by political analysts from across the political spectrum, suggesting that Sweden Democrat ties to pro-Russian alternative media represent a serious threat to Sweden. How do they represent a threat? Well, having these ties to the so-called alternative media environment means having a proximity to domestic far-right extremists as well. And with more of an open-door policy in SD, we can expect more people with sympathies and loyalties to domestic extremists, but also to Russian interests, because a lot of these websites also have a sort of pro-Kremlin or, sp- or spreading Russian narratives or conspiracy theories. So our investigative reporting have time and time again expose such SD representatives, and we know that white supremacists have sources or channels for communication with SD in the parliament. So with this more lax or including policy Mm. with the forces to the right of the Sweden Democrats, they're likely to get more people with loyalties and sympathies with domestic extremism and sympathies for the Kremlin and for, for Russian narratives. Because that's sort of simplifying it a bit, the difference between far-right populists and far-right extremists is usually far-right extremists are more pro-Russian. So here we have a party that is sort of sliding towards Russia in a way, or at least, you know, you've got people with, with sympathies with Russian, with Russian narratives and with Russia itself sort of coming, becoming more influential within a party that is now a, an ally of the government, is that the government is reliant upon. At what point does that become a security risk? Uh, well, it should be said that the Swing Democrats as a party has been very clear now, uh, since the invasion, in condemning. Uh, Absolutely. So that, yeah. that, that's very important to say. However, they're voting in the European Parliament in the years before that, um, 
have been exposed in an interesting report by the think tank Frivärd has been sort of in, in practice pro-Kremlin. So I think it's not the sort of official SD stances, which are basically to kick you know Russia out of international cooperation and to, to also a strong condemnation of Russia and the Russian invasion. However, it's this SD as a party, as a movement, with more sort of inclusion of far-right extremists, you also get more inclusion of the sympathies and loyalties to Russian interests. That is a security concern. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even even in the leadership, I mean, I remember that a few days, I think, before the Russian invasion of Ukraine last year, Yemi Orkosom was asked. So the leader of the Sweden Democrats was asked in in in, in an interview on SVT. I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but basically, who, who who's your favourite out of uh, Putin and Macron? And yeah. he couldn't he couldn't answer. He wouldn't answer mm. Macron. And same with with Biden also exactly. has refused to. Yeah. So, so, so you know, even so, is, how do you how how do you interpret that? Is that is that the leadership's knowing that you know it has these elements within its party and 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 thinking, well, actually, you know, I don't want to piss them off too much, so I'm gonna I'm 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 just gonna sit this one out. I think it's primarily that they see sort of liberalism and liberal democracy as something that they want to replace. And so while he doesn't want to express support for Putin, he doesn't want to express support. I, th- I think it's. Um, He's quite honest that way, right? So it's, it's sort of like an equidistant. He really, really, he's not. He's not. He might not be that keen on Putin, perhaps. No, but he's not. He's not. Probably not. Probably not. But he's definitely not that keen on Macron. Doesn't want to have anything. Doesn't want to associate himself with Macron or Biden or anyone like that. No, exactly. Because he wants. He sees both those things as, as something that differs and something that that is harmful for for Sweden and for. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Europe. If you look back over the last 20 years, they've had the same ideology all along. Is that an explanation for why they just keep on growing from election to election? I, I think that has, uh, has given them credibility over the years for voters who who sympathize with them to be able to see that they are that they can be trusted with those issues that that are important to those voters yeah of course haven't they flipped on like some sort of other issues like economic issues yes Uh, yes of course and and that's all uh, that that's that's more open for compromise so they have these key concerns that they are fighting for and then they're willing to compromise with more or less anything else. And if you see over the years, they've portrayed themselves as the new workers' party. They have sort of portrayed themselves as uh, as more conservative. So they, they've tried to sort of model themselves, present themselves after what, what seems to work during a specific time. But that's all quite superficial. 
so they have had these core issues and these core ideological stances that have been consistent over the years. We've seen them recently talking a lot more about climate change and uh, as, in, as in sort of scepticism towards climate change or scepticism towards measures to combat climate change. Mm. Is that, um, is that going to, do you think that's going to be a, a significant part of their, of their message going forward? Yeah, it appears to be. And they've tied uh, people to important figures in that sort of climate denial world. Also, one of them is a representative in the uh, Swedish parliament, uh, Elsa Widing, for the Swing Democrats. So they appear to be seeing this as one of their important issues. And we can see that far-right extremist media platforms closer to Sweden Democrats, they've sort of pointed, you know, immigration, of course, um, and also opposition to equality, gender equality, and the climate denial issues as sort of key issues. And we see that that the Sweden Democrats are sort of adopting well, that issue quite strongly and in a way this sort of far-right extremist media world that we've been talking about has sort of paved the way I think a bit for SD to do that and to portray themselves as the only ones who are differing from this path that the others are taking and being a truth tellers to people who doubt climate change. I think that's a position they want to have now. And going on to the sort of the, the Russian question again, and the and the question of uh, of the war in Ukraine, right? Like you say, right now they've been very solid on Sweden's position with Ukraine. In, in, you know, we support Ukraine and send weapons and, and all of that. And they haven't really objected on on NATO either. They've kind of said, yes, fine, we'll go into NATO. But you know, we're seeing in you know in parts of Europe, we're seeing um, you know in Germany, for example, sort of on the on the far right of politics, we're seeing we're seeing sort of much more scepticism towards the Western help for Ukraine. Can you see that that developing in the Sweden Democrats at some level? over the next uh, over the over the coming period particularly if if the war gets you know extended is bogged down and and and, and perhaps doesn't go ukraine's way all, all the time yeah I, th- I think the swing democrats can be expected to flip and primarily when it comes to ukrainian refugees which were sort of painted and there's a sort of underlying racism here is so fundamentally different from other refugees we have had previously and these people have they will fund themselves they will only be here for a short time and etc and and we see that the sort of parties to the right of the Sweden Democrats alternative for Sweden have op- opposed Ukrainian immigration and saying that this is not a country in the Swedish proximity with a mm. na- more narrow view on w- what's a, a country in the Swedish proximity and i think that if those types of arguments and ideas become more prominent, uh, targeting immigration from the Ukraine and the Ukrainian refugees. I think that will be a, like a concern for the Sweden Democrats and it will be hard for them to to keep the position they're having today. I'm just thinking of the TIDA agreement that underpins the, the new government. Were you surprised by how much Sweden Democrat migration policy was in there? Not really. I, I sort of expected it, uh, I would say. And what does it tell us about the relationship between the Sweden Democrats and the centre-right parties, the moderates, the Christian Democrats and the liberals, that they were you know, so willing to cede so much ground there? Because they didn't want to have Sweden Democrats in the government itself. They wanted to have them as a support party. And they were obviously willing to pay for it quite yeah. a lot in terms of uh, adopting Sweden Democrats' policy. Yeah. I think you're onto something, Paul, when you talk about honesty. Because it feels like like a lot of the time, even when they even when they flip on certain policies, that they're sort of honest about the fact that, well, we just change our minds. Uh, yeah. Whereas other parties might tend to be like, oh, no, this is what we've always thought. Mm-hmm. And like you also see Jimmy Orkison quite a lot in interviews when when he doesn't know the answer to a question. 
he's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Whereas yeah. a lot of other politicians would sort of desperately try to come up with a soundbite just to sort of look like they know what they're talking about. But I would say that he actually systematically uses I I don't know uh, also to oh, yeah, to uh, derail uh, a discussion that that I'm very sure that he knows <laughs> uh, when it comes to extremism in his party etc. It's uh, quite convenient for him to to say I I, I don't know. So it's sort of, he's put that into a system. <laughs> But I mean, like you said, probably sometimes it's quite genuine as well. At least he gives he gives off the impression of being like a more normal person, in quotes. It feels strange to me that a lot of the other parties have sort of chosen the being tough on immigrants issue as something that they think that they need to imitate in order to get more votes, when there might in fact be other things that are more relevant to be inspired by. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's there's multiple times, you know, I, I don't agree with you, Mjolkson, but there's multiple times I've thought, okay, no, he's a good politician. You know, I can see how people can find him like an appealing politician to listen to. Yeah. The thing about Jim Mjolkson, I think, is that he talks... He talks like a human being. Yeah, he doesn't, exactly. He doesn't. I mean, I think you know one of the problems we have with politicians in not just in Sweden but in lots of Western democracies is that they avoid answering questions by answering another qu- a question they haven't been asked. They 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 stick to their they stick to their talking points. They sound like robots, mm. and Jimmy Orkerson sounds like a human being, and he wins an awful lot from that. And yeah. he is a damn good politician. Whatever you think of his ideology, he's really good at politics. I agree. I think it's a shame that we've somehow as a society created an atmosphere where there's no room like for people to or people think that they're not allowed to be flawed. Most politicians think that they need to be perfect in order to get votes. We've also got a system where politicians are kind of reliant on politics for their careers and for their survival mm-hmm. and, and messing up in politics for a politician has massive consequences. So they're, they're afraid. Yeah, but I think it's a very interesting point that you mentioned there with the politicians who feel they need to appear perfect. Look at this uh, Christian Democrat politician, Sara Skyttedal. I mean, Mm. maybe there is some kind of shift going on here. Maybe we are seeing um, more politicians who are willing to be more vulnerable somehow publicly and I think that's an interesting uh, thing to follow. And when they do that in a sense if they do it if they do it in the right way they it can give them a, a kind of in, an invulnerability if mm. you if, if if and it's quite and it's quite you know what sorry squitted also Christian democrat politician who said that she'd taken drugs. Yeah. And she did in a very straightforward way was completely upfront about it. And basically managed to say something that for usually for a Christian Democrat politician or for any politician, but particularly a Christian yeah. Democrat, because they, you know, they're kind of on the moral right. right. It's, 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 something, <laughs> it's something that you would think they couldn't get away with. But she did it. She did it in a completely bold and, um, and, and straightforward we'll way. We'll see if really she's successful. a very rare case or if she's the sort of beginning of something new here. Yeah. That'd be interesting to follow. It would be interesting to see us, as, as, you know, a social Democrat or a moderate do the same thing and see if they could get away with it as well. So isn't this a difficult balancing act for the Sweden Democrats? They want to retain the voters they've attracted from the traditional mainstream parties while at the same time keeping their base energised. How do you see this developing as they aspire to gain even more support and eventually lead the government? Well, like you said, I, th- I think it is a bit of a, of a of a balancing act and we'll see h- how much of these TIDO agreements that's supposed to become law, supposed to become politics and 
a lot of it has yet to be. Uh, And we'll see how that goes. And and the Sweden Democrats will be, I mean, they want to deliver in relation to their voters, but they they also want to show that they are the part here that can be trusted and not the rest maybe of the government. So yeah, it is it is a bit of a balancing act. And then we have the far-right extremists to the right of the Sweden Democrats, whose only hope in order to succeed um, in the ballots in the, in the next election is for Sweden Democrat voters to feel abandoned by the Sweden Democrats, that the Sweden Democrats have been too weak in yeah. this TIDA uh, agreement. Uh, so so uh, there is some pushing and pulling from, from different sides here, and we'll see who comes out. Yeah, But can the other TIDA parties, can the moderates, the, 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 the liberals and the Christian Democrats, can they exert any pressure or influence on the Sweden Democrats in these questions? Or is it the case that now they've made their decision to get into bed with the Sweden Democrats and the Sweden Democrats feel they can do what the hell they like? Well, it seems to be the latter. That's how they perceive it. But uh, they could exert a lot more pressure and they could have when they opened the doors to the Sweden Democrats before the election of 2022 they basically said the Sweden Democrats have have sort of changed to the better in recent years while I'm seeing the totally opposite process taking place which is a bit absurd and I think they could have used the time before the election to create more boundaries and and red lines for the Sweden Democrats to pressure them, which they have chosen not to do. And what we're seeing today is this issue of interference in culture politics, where we see that there is some tension with the Sweden Democrats, but they're not really, the other parties in the TIDA corporation are not really taking a strong case against the Sweden Democrats. And I think they may have to do that eventually. Yeah, how how worried are you by some of those developments? If you look at Yavla Boy, for for example, where the Sweden Democrats um, stopped a Lucia parade because the the Lucia identified as non-binary, and there've been a few cases like this where they've in Trelleborg they mm. they stopped a drag queen story time. The same kind of tendencies we see with the far right in the U.S. How worrying is that trend? Do you think? I think it's very worrying. And I think that this sort of relative silence from the other parties in the TIDA corporation yeah, makes it even more worrying. Mm. Um, so I think it sort of encourages SD to move forward with this sort of culture war, with their uh, this sort of war they're waging on constitutional democracy or liberal democracy and the idea of arm lengths of stone. I'm sort of all the time forcing you guys to, so arm, to explain arm, to so 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 keeping an arm length distance yeah. from yeah invol- getting involved in the in in actual decisions the, yeah exactly and from... the operative um, yeah. yeah that wasn't so hard I no. could have done that sorry <laughs> <laughs> You've just been listening to an interview with Jonathan Lehmann, a researcher with Sweden's Expo Foundation. You can check the show notes for links to related articles. Our panellists today were Becky Waterton, Emma Lovegreen and James Savage. Our sound engineer on this podcast is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paula Mahoney and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then... Take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. 
Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. The publisher is James Savage. <laughs>